Welcome back to Spoiler Free Wrestling, the podcast edition. And we're recording this the morning of November 2nd after a very interesting edition of SmackDown and after a very noteworthy week of pro wrestling. So let's not waste any time. Let's get right into all the many things that there is to talk about, about what took place in the world of pro wrestling this week. And I want to start out with a little bit of WWE. And I know there's people that listen to these shows that just aren't interested in WWE. Or at least they aren't interested in Raw or SmackDown. And I certainly can relate with that. There is so much wrestling on TV that anyone, no matter your level of fandom, you have to, you have to pick. You have to pick now. What am I going to watch? And man, is that ever a change from what it was just even a few years ago. Even just a few years ago, you had WWE and some what I'll refer to as minor league alternatives. And in one case, TNA Wrestling... TNA wrestling was just another version of WWE, albeit with a little bit of differences. Up until Don Callis took over in 20... Well, I mean, admittedly, before Don Callis took over Impact, I had tapped out from TNA wrestling for a very long time. But TNA, for a long time, was basically your only WWE alternative. And then around... 2014, New Japan World streaming service came out, which provided wrestling fans with a lot more alternative. And now, uh, today, we've got a new TNA, now Impact. We've got Major League Wrestling. We've still got Ring of Honor kicking around. Ring of Honor, of course, came in around 02. So they came in, uh, I, I mean, TNA and Ring of Honor came in when WCW and ECW died. But Ring of Honor was very difficult to follow. I mean, they were basically live events and DVDs at the very beginning. So it was very difficult to follow. And, you know, what we had said before, TNA was basically um, where they were taking WWE's approach to pro wrestling. And I don't think you could call it like a unique feeling product. But now we have so many unique feeling products, one of them being the new Impact Wrestling, no longer TNA Wrestling. but So I do want to start out with some WWE. Because WWE, even though Raw or SmackDown might not be the greatest shows on TV, they might be some very skippable shows when you compare them to NXT or AEW or even MLW or Impact or NWA. But it's still the top wrestling promotion in the world and when there's a new champion it's news and bray wyatt at crown jewel on halloween bray wyatt defeated seth rollins in a falls count anywhere match that couldn't be stopped for any reason and that stipulation actually came into effect during the match so let's just review These last two matches between Bray Wyatt and Seth Rollins. 
So we get Bray Wyatt's just second match on WWE programming as The Fiend was for the Universal Championship inside Hell in a Cell at Hell in a Cell against Seth Rollins. And as we've mentioned on previous podcasts, I loved the reason they gave as to why this match was booked. Bray Wyatt just explained, well, he's making a lot of money. And then he fed money, like cash, to his Vince McMahon puppet. And his Vince McMahon puppet then agreed Bray should get the title match. Which I've said is how title matches often work in all combat sports, be it fictional or non-fictional. It seems very often like the most marketable star gets favorable title shots and matchups. So that's what happened here. And then we get to Hell in a Cell. And to the best of my knowledge, a Hell in a Cell match has always ended with a winner. But the fans in Sacramento didn't get this. They got a, a disputed, a controversial, the ref calling for the bell in a situation where arguably the ref is not able to call for the bell. So it was Wyatt was underneath some chairs and stuff, and then Seth pulled out a sledgehammer and then hit the chairs and stuff with the sledgehammer, and then the ref called for the bell. Now, this wasn't a disqualification. Everybody took it as a disqualification. But it was, the ref was just waving off the match. It was a referee stoppage. And so the ref had just decided that there was that the violence that had been done to Bray Wyatt was just so severe, he had to stop the match. But then Bray Wyatt popped up, and we learned nothing really can hurt Bray Wyatt all that much. He recovered and actually ended the pay-per-view by giving the mandible claw to Seth Rollins. So it was something that upset a lot of people because there was a, a non-finish. There wasn't a winner declared. Well, I mean, technically Seth Rollins won that match by referee's stoppage. It's just, the match can't end like that. So in our record books, we're calling it a no contest. The match was waved off. It's like it didn't happen. And so the ref actually went on that show, WWE The Bump, which is like one of a hundred new YouTube shows WWE's come out with. And the ref, there had been a statement from the referee that said basically... Um, you know, I felt it was, you know, I, I felt it was in the best interest of the safety of the superstars to, to stop the match. But that then, so that weird finish that upset so many people set up this match here, Falls Count Anywhere in Saudi Arabia at Crown Jewel for the Universal Championship. And there was the stipulation that the match cannot be stopped for any reason. Seemingly even the end of the match. Not able to stop this match from happening. This will be an infinite match. A match that continues infinitely. Not even the deaths of the superstars themselves can stop this match. But there was a spot where... In, uh, in matches that didn't have that stipulation, where you could see a referee waving it off and calling it a no contest. And it was when Wyatt went into all the the electronical boxes or speakers and stuff and all the, all the you know, sparks and stuff went flying and it looked like Bray had been badly 
burned and beaten and finally this evil villain Michael Myers type character had been boy there's a lot of Michael Myers and the fiend and it happened on Halloween hmm anyway you know how like Michael Myers he could do anything to him and he just doesn't die seems like that's the case with the fiend and and that the fiend won the title on Halloween there might you know there's a lot of horror movie stuff going on with the fiend um, so they don't stop the match when that happens. Why it pops up unscathed. This is an otherworldly creature, Bray Wyatt. And, and, and it, it appears what they've, what, what we're learning about Bray Wyatt is very much that he's Michael Myers. You just can't kill this guy. All the things that happened to him at Hell in a Cell, all the things that happened to him at Crown Jewel, and in both cases, he got up, he recovered, and he took the fight to Seth Rollins. This time, he delivered the sister Abigail on the floor and got the win to win the Universal Championship. It's Bray Wyatt's second world title victory. He's also a former WWE champion. But this, I, I, I mean, he has risen to the top of WWE with a, a new gimmick, a new character. And in three wrestling matches, he's now the Universal Champion. So, but the other, uh, well, I guess not the other, but like one big way that this impacts the landscape in WWE is that Bray Wyatt's a SmackDown wrestler. He was drafted to SmackDown. And despite this, he was scheduled in this Universal Championship match against Seth Rollins, as it all came about before the draft. So then he wins the Universal Championship at Crown Jewel in the last match on the card. Then we get to Saudi Arabia. And for those who missed SmackDown, it was actually a pretty good SmackDown. Um, numerous wrestlers were not able to make it to Buffalo for SmackDown last night because of travel problems in Saudi Arabia, for whatever reason. So Bray Wyatt wasn't there, but Brock Lesnar, the WWE champion, was. So heading into this SmackDown, Bray Wyatt and Brock Lesnar, the two world champions in WWE, are both assigned to SmackDown. But that would change in the very first segment of SmackDown last night, when Brock Lesnar quit. Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman cut a promo. Maybe just Paul Heyman, but... And he noted that now, with the split between Raw and SmackDown, they're on different TV channels. So it's Fox, USA. Wrestler contracts are exclusive. So, Brock Lesnar, so long as he's assigned to SmackDown, can't show up on Raw. But Rey Mysterio, who attacked Brock Lesnar after his match with Cain Velasquez at Crown Jewel, is assigned to Raw. So Brock Lesnar says, all right, fine. Well, through Paul Heyman, he says, I quit SmackDown, and I'm going to be on Raw on Monday to confront Rey Mysterio. So it, it seems to me that the brands are switching world titles. The WWE Championship is going to be the world title on Raw, 
and the Universal Championship, likely after an appearance change, is going to end up being the world title for SmackDown. And it brings up an interesting position on Raw, because you've got Brock Lesnar as the WWE champion. You've got Seth Rollins as arguably the number one contender. And Seth Rollins has defeated Brock Lesnar for the championship the last two times he faced him. He beat him at SummerSlam and he beat him at WrestleMania. So do they wrestle again? Seemingly, Seth Rollins would be the number one contender if the champion is somebody he's shown he's able to beat whenever he faces him. And then there was the the main event of, what was it, WrestleMania 31 or something like that? And Seth Rollins cashed in the Money in the Bank briefcase and then won a triple threat against Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. So Seth Rollins has Brock Lesnar's number. But are they going to do that match again? Is Seth Rollins going to challenge Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship? Or will it be somebody else on that brand? It definitely looks like Brock is coming after Ray after taking care of Cain Velasquez at Crown Jewel. And the word going around is that Cain Velasquez might need knee surgery and could be out for some time. However, he is signed to WWE uh, as part of a multi-year deal, so we certainly haven't seen the last of Cain Velasquez, but it might be a little bit before we see Cain Velasquez back in a WWE ring. But Brock Lesnar was one of very few wrestlers. He might have been the only wrestler, actually. No, maybe not. But he was one of the only wrestlers to appear at Crown Jewel who was also on SmackDown last night. And that was because of these travel issues that WWE had getting out of Saudi Arabia. So we basically had the women's division was there uh, because they're not... Most of them aren't allowed to compete in Saudi Arabia. Sami Zayn was there. Because Sami Zayn's not allowed to compete in Saudi Arabia. And Daniel Bryan was there because Daniel Bryan refuses to compete in Saudi Arabia. And then they flew in the NXT audience. Or audience, roster. A bunch of the members of the NXT roster came in for SmackDown. We saw Shayna Baszler. Um attacked several members of the women's division. We saw Keith Lee and Matt Riddle take out Sami Zayn. We saw Adam Cole defeat Daniel Bryan in an NXT World Championship match to headline the show. And so this is all building, evidently, to Survivor Series. And in recent years, Survivor Series has been Raw versus SmackDown. And a lot of people didn't like this, but I kind of did. Because, it, I mean, in reality, Survivor Series would be the most important night of the year. Because you've got the world champion from Raw against the world champion from SmackDown. And isn't that the biggest match of the year? Aren't those, the two, I mean, the two world champions? Those have to be the two best wrestlers, right? You know, and we've seen... Uh, Brock Lesnar versus AJ Styles in that role. I think we saw Brock Lesnar versus Daniel Bryan at a Survivor Series, didn't we? I'm going to look up Survivor Series, and I'll be right back. 
And I'm immediately back after having researched this. So yeah, the main event of Survivor Series last year was Brock Lesnar versus Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan was the WWE champion. Brock Lesnar was the Universal champion. And then in 2017, they also did this, and it was Brock Lesnar versus AJ Styles. So it's champion versus champion. So these are important shows, aren't they? I mean, they don't get treated as such because it's not really treated like the winner wins anything, right? Like the, you know, uh, whether it's Ronda Rousey winning the women's champion versus women's champion match, which she did last year. She defeated uh, Charlotte Flair via disqualification. Man, I, you know, shouldn't they get like a trophy or something that says they're the champion of champions? Well, they don't. But this year, it's not going to be Raw versus SmackDown, evidently. It's going to be Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT. And how important is this for NXT? Now, we've seen NXT, they're trailing AEW Dynamite in the ratings. They're a couple hundred thousand behind AEW, it seems. But Raw and SmackDown both blow NXT or AEW out of the water in terms of ratings. Even when they're down. Even when their ratings are quote-unquote bad. Raw or SmackDown is still much better than AEW or NXT. But what does this exposure of NXT on Raw, SmackDown, and Survivor Series do for NXT's popularity? Are you putting the NXT product in front of eyes that it hadn't been in front of before? Possibly. I mean, you're putting it in front of people who watch Raw or and SmackDown, but nothing else. Does this angle where NXT is now treated as the third brand, does this get more people to watch it? Does this get NXT's ratings? Uh, does this give NXT's ratings a bump? It's exposure. And certainly Adam Cole defeating Daniel Bryan. I mean, that lets the fans know that the NXT champion is on par with the people chasing after the WWE and Universal Championships. So I think it's uh, an important message was sent by WWE to its fan base about NXT on SmackDown last night. Now, would they have done this you know, would NXT have invaded if SmackDown's plane didn't arrive? Who knows? We're, we're, we're never going to know that, but NXT is a part of Survivor Series. That was announced before the plane problems. So, who knows how much of what we saw last night was because the SmackDown roster was stuck in Saudi Arabia and how much was going to happen somewhere down the line anyway, even if it wasn't originally supposed to have happened in Buffalo last night. And how does NXT being involved with Survivor Series impact how the matches are done at Survivor Series? Like, are they all triple threats? Are we going to get Adam Cole versus Bray Wyatt versus Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series? It's also possible that they just come up with a new format and scrap this whole champion versus champions thing. But also interesting is that NXT, as a takeover event, 
the night before Survivor Series. So while this NXT versus Raw versus SmackDown stuff is building, on Wednesday nights, NXT is still setting up two big War Games matches. And we saw this on Wednesday night, where we're going to get Rhea Ripley captaining a team and Shayna Baszler captaining a team. And I don't know if Baszler's going to have both Duke and Shafir in there. It looked like there were some others, such as Bianca Belair, you know, who could... Io Shirai, who could end up on sort of the heel team there against Rhea Ripley's team. But then, so, they're going to be feuding against each other, against leading up to war games, but is Shayna Baszler also going to be involved with Survivor Series on the next night? Would we get a triple threat? Shayna Baszler versus Bailey versus Becky Lynch? That would be pretty good. So who knows? We don't know where this is going. But NXT is going to be a part of Survivor Series. And you have to wonder if that's going to boost up the ratings a little bit. Get them up over a million, perhaps. So it was a very... It was a very interesting week for WWE. You had four shows in the last five days. I mean, you had Raw on Monday. You had NXT on Wednesday. You had Crown Jewel on Thursday. And then you had SmackDown yesterday. It was a very pivotal week for WWE. And a lot of things are different in WWE now. The world titles have switched. We've got NXT at Survivor Series. We've got Bray Wyatt. As the Universal Champion, a lot of things going on in WWE right now. But let's leave WWE for now. And I want to talk a little bit about Impact Wrestling. And what happened on their debut show on Access TV. Was that this week? Yes, it was this week. Jeez. So look at all the wrestling we had. Raw on Monday. Impact on Tuesday. NXT and AEW Dynamite on Wednesday. Crown Jewel on Thursday, SmackDown on Friday. This is ridiculous. There's no way anybody can follow all of this. But I wanted to make sure that I watched Impact. And Sammy Callahan, after about six pile drivers, including one off the second rope, defeated Brian Cage and is your new Impact World Champion. And then right after. He wins the title. Tessa Blanchard comes out and the show ends with those two staring each other down. And just what a journey it's been for Sammy Callahan over the last two years in Impact Wrestling. He was with Impact before the Don Callis regime came in. I don't know how many people were watching those shows. But during the first tapings after Don Callis took over, that was the baseball bat incident with Eddie Edwards. They were having a match. They were going to do this thing. Sammy Callahan was going to hit a chair that was sitting on top of Eddie Edwards with the bat. The chair moved, and Sammy hit him in the head with a baseball bat and broke his orbital bone. And a lot of people called Sammy unsafe after that. Um, but Sammy, over the last two years, has been involved in some very 
intense and well-reviewed rivalries and matches. He had a big rivalry with Rich Swan over the X Division title. He's had this big rivalry with Brian Cage. And now he's the Impact World Champion. And for Impact, you've got to feel as though Brian Cage's run as the World Champion didn't go how they wanted. Um, he spent most of it injured. He did manage to get that one match with Michael Elgin in. But really, after the Rebellion pay-per-view, when he beat Johnny Impact for the world title, Cage has, as Sammy Callahan put it, been a broken-down machine. And I think maybe Cage is going to be in a position now where he can take some time off, really heal that body, and get to just get to a place where he's in peak physical health and isn't at risk for further injuries. And that's going to be what's best for Cage. The other thing going on in Impact Wrestling right now, which I feel really needs uh, to be talked about, is Rob Van Dam's heel turn. And this is just a thing of beauty. Now, when Rob turned heel at Bound for Glory, like he kicked Rhino in the head, my first thought was, how the, like, how is Rob Van Dam going to be a heel? Honestly, how are you going to do this? And it's this thing where, where like legendary wrestlers who are past their prime, but we love them when, you know, when they were in their prime, fans don't want to boo them. Fans want to come out and see these people. Very often, it's the legends that get people to come out to the shows even more than the athletes who are in their prime. At tapings for Impact Wrestling, they advertise, I think it's called the Rob Van Dam Experience. Basically, they do meet and greets before the show, and you can purchase VIP tickets where you can kind of do like a Q&A with their top stars. And the big draw is Rob Van Dam. And these tickets are hundreds of dollars. So the VIPs for Impact, like if you look, the, the first three rows basically at any Impact taping, um, those fans, in most cases, the golden circle, they call it, have paid hundreds of dollars for their tickets because they get this VIP experience. And they also did like um, when they were in Rebel Nightclub in Toronto once. I, I wasn't there, but uh, VIPs, like they put... Super Smash Bros, the racing game on the screen. And so, like, VIPs were, like, playing Super Smash Bros with Tessa Blanchard and stuff like that. So having Rob Van Dam at these VIP experiences is a big draw for Impact. So I really didn't think that they would turn him heel. But they've been hinting that Rob Van Dam is going heel ever since he signed with the company. They did... They used to do these Impact press passes, like, these media calls and so i'd call and so i called into the one for rob van dam and he was dropping hints there that he was going heel and this is back in like april because it was he had done the wrestlemania weekend shows with impact and after they'd announced him i think tickets went well so they're like oh okay this guy can draw a little bit so so on this media call, somebody had just asked him, 
like, you know, who, who do you want to work with and impact or something like that. And he went on a bit of a tangent about wrestlers or not like a tangent, but like he would drop little hints. Like you could tell he was annoyed at people stealing his moves. And he talked about how Willie Mack has a six star frog splash. And he, he sort of dropped these hints about small wrestlers. You know, oh, all these wrestlers today are small and they steal my moves. They're small guys stealing my moves. And this is now the whole basis of his heel turn. And a promo that he cut from a hot tub with a scantily clad Katie Forbes in the tub with him. He talked about Without Rob Van Dam, there would be no Daniel Bryan. There would be no Young Bucks. There would be no Kenny Omega. And I think that might be right. Rob Van Dam, in the 90s and the early 2000s, there was nobody more influential. I really do believe that a lot of the popular wrestlers of today were likely incredibly influenced by Rob Van Dam coming up. So they've been dropping these hints for a while. Like April, that I mean, April was seven months ago that those hints started to come out, come out. And they did it at Bound for Glory, and they really hammered it home on their first show on Access. So you got to kind of wonder, like, were they waiting to do this? And now if you go on social media, which I don't recommend, but... If you feel like it, go on Rob Van Dam's Twitter account. And all he is doing is just ripping fans, ripping AEW, ripping these small guys stealing his moves. And it's this arrogant, cocky um, opinion of himself, which is so reminiscent of the Rob Van Dam from the mid-90s in ECW. Rob Van Dam, before he blew up and became the most popular, arguably the most popular wrestler. Well, okay. I mean, he wasn't more popular than Stone Cold or The Rock or whatever. But Rob Van Dam was incredibly popular during the the peak of his career. But just before that, in ECW, he was this cocky heel. All that, all this stuff, like, Pointing to himself with his thumbs. Uh, calling himself the whole effing show. Everything about the Rob Van Dam character, which people grow to love, started with him being a bad guy. Started with him being oh, like so cocky and so arrogant that he was a bad guy. But eventually, I think enough people just started to agree with all the cocky, arrogant things that Rob Van Dam had been saying about himself. And he was saying, like, I'm the whole effing show. People all of a sudden started to go, yeah, yeah, that's right, you are. You're really good. And they, and they just cheered him because he was really good. And then when he got to WWE, he was supposed to be a heel. He was in the Alliance. Remember the Alliance? But the Alliance got booed. Even Austin got booed at that time. Because remember, he was a heel. I mean, he didn't get booed a lot, but Austin got booed. Rob Van Dam did not get booed. Rob Van Dam was like the only member of the Alliance during that whole invasion angle who got cheered. 
But now in Impact Wrestling, Rob Van Dam now taking his character to a, 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 a on a different road, something that hasn't been done in God, like thirty years, twenty-five years, a quarter of a century since Rob Van Dam started the heelish persona, this cocky, arrogant guy. And it's taken a quarter of a century for people to boo him for it again. But it's definitely creating an interesting dynamic in Impact Wrestling, and you have to wonder what's going to happen with Rob Van Dam from here. Is Rob Van Dam going to kind of get into the mix for the world title? Like, Rob Van Dam, since he's been back in Impact, has just kind of been doing stuff. He's been on the shows, but he's sort of existed in his own universe. He said matches, you know, I mean, he was in the tag team title match, you know, but he, did, he didn't win. He turned on his partner and stuff. So it, it feels like he hasn't really been competing in the divisions. He's just sort of been on the show. But now you have to wonder, hey, are we going to see Rob Van Dam challenge for the WWE or for the Impact Championship? Maybe. If if fans continue to talk about Rob Van Dam and his heel character here continues to be what's talked about, maybe the matchmakers at Impact Wrestling will decide there's money in Rob Van Dam challenging for the Impact World title. We'll just have to see, but it's very interesting. Like all of it, like Rob Van Dam, everything that he's done in the latter stages of his career, has just been kind of showing up and coasting off his reputation and what the fans already love about him. This is the first time he's tried anything new in the 21st century. And a lot of people are talking about it. And that's a good thing for Impact. All right, I actually just want to go back to NXT ever so slightly, or ever so whatever. Asuka and Kari Zane, the Kabuki Warriors, the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions, we've seen a new, a new attitude from these two women. And Asuka seems to be slowly morphing into her own version of the Great Muda, someone who she is consistently referenced as an influence of hers. And like the great Muda, Asuka has begun using the poison mist. The poison mist. I actually just learned how to do the poison mist. Um, Well, I learned where it comes from, but I won't tell you what it is because I don't want to pull back the curtain for any of you. But... There are different types of poison mist. Not all poison mists are the same. And I want to give a brief overview of the different types of poison mists that can be used in pro wrestling. But before I do that, I just want to bring up one point which I think is getting glossed over by many. And it's this idea that if the referee sees someone covered in poison mist, that for some reason they should call for a disqualification because the evidence of an illegal maneuver is all over this person. I disagree. For one, there's evidence that 
this person is covered in mist. But if the referee doesn't know who covered them with that mist, how can they make a decision? The other reason why poison mist very often don't lead to disqualifications is there's some debate over whether they are uh, it's illegal to use at all. I mean, what is we don't know what the green mist is. So is it illegal? Is it a like a uh, I mean, is it saliva? Is it vomit? Is it like what is coming out of the digestive system of this person? It's coming from their mouth. You know, I mean, if Sammy Callahan spits on an opponent, is that a disqualification? If he vomits on an opponent, is that a disqualification? And if not, should a poison mist be a disqualification? So that's something to to keep in mind when you see um, other podcasts or or radio hosts talk about like, oh, I mean, why why wouldn't the referee call for a disqualification? Well, there's plenty of reasons why the referee wouldn't call for a disqualification. They don't know who who used the mist, and there's some debate over whether the mist is illegal to begin with. So that's why when referees see somebody covered in a poison mist, they don't call for a disqualification. Except for maybe the referee who officiated the Hell in a Cell match between Bray Wyatt and Seth Rollins, as, as that referee is a little loose with the rules. But there are actually six different types of poison mist that can be used in pro wrestling. And the most common and the one that Asuka has been using is the green mist. And this is said to blind an opponent. And it was Dakota Kai who took this mist to the eyes recently. And then on WWE Now, which is like a two-minute YouTube show, every week they do an NXT injury report. And I like these. But basically, Dakota Kai is injured. She's having vision problems, had to have her eyes flushed. And if you noticed, she was not one of the members of the NXT roster on SmackDown last night. So that's the green mist. Now, red mist is also a thing. Red mist will burn the eyes. So this is said to create more of a burning, burning sensation. Now, black mist is said to blind the opponent for several weeks. And I'm getting this from pro wrestling fandom, by the way. So this is all, uh, you know. So black mist is said to blind the opponent for several weeks. Blue mist sends the opponent to sleep. Yellow mist is said to paralyze the opponent. And purple mist which was once used by Roxy Laveau, so says this description, can cause momentary distraction and memory loss. I thought that was kind of interesting, but... The Asian poison mist. But ever so quickly, before we go today, I want to talk about AEW and their build towards the full gear pay-per-view, which is... A week from tonight, a week from tonight, AEW will be in Royal Farms Arena in Baltimore. 
And so far, only four matches are booked for the event. However, I think it's fairly likely we're going to get more. Uh, uh, fi we'll find out more on Dynamite next week. But we've got John Moxley versus Kenny Omega in what is now a non-sanctioned match. And we saw on Dynamite this week, uh, well, we saw behind a closed door, Moxley and Tony Khan had a conversation. Khan was basically saying, well, we can't be responsible for what happened. And so this match doesn't count on your win-loss record. So John Moxley versus Kenny Omega. This should be a very interesting match. Now, I mean, what we have learned, however, is that it doesn't matter who wins this match in terms of who gets the next AEW World Championship match. But you would have to imagine. So the other big singles match that's not for a title that's on the show is uh, Hangman Page versus Pac. And Pac won the first match between these two. So I think if Page wins this one at full gear, they either have to have a rubber match or the winner of this match faces the winner of Moxley and Omega, and the winner of that gets the next world championship match. But Moxley versus Kenny Omega, so that's now non-sanctioned. We found out that on Dynamite. We also had a contract signing between Chris Jericho and David S. Pumpkins slash Chris Jericho. And there was sort of a story leading up to the contract signing. Like, we saw... Cody was in a limo riding with Tony Schiavone to the arena, and they were going to do this contract signing with Chris Jericho. And there are so many references to old NWA shows in Cody storylines. So this whole idea of like taking a ride to the arena, very similar to something Ric Flair did once where, I think it was a pay-per-view. Might have been a star kick. He was wrestling Vader. And there was like four clips of him riding to the arena leading up to the show. And that's what this sort of reminded me of. And they've added another stipulation to the Cody versus Chris Jericho at Full Gear, which also reminds me a lot of an old NWA angle. And so they've added three judges. Will judge the main event match between Chris Jericho and Cody at full gear. If it goes the 60 minute time limit, then it'll go to the judges. Now, Chris Jericho is 48 years old. I don't really think he's doing a 60 minute match, a, a 60 minute Broadway on the pay-per-view. Like who knows, but that's a hefty <laughs> workout for someone pushing 50. Now, there was one other time that I can remember when this happened. And I believe they did it for Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat. And Terry Funk was one of the judges. And it led to a very famous angle on that night. So if you're looking to see how having judges might play out, I believe, I could have this wrong, because I'm not fact-checking it. Hold on, I'll pause it and fact check it. All right, I looked it up. So it was a Clash of the Champions in 1989. And it it ended the classic feud between Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat and began one between Ric Flair and Terry Funk. So uh, there, this 
idea of having three judges judging a world title match in case it goes to a time limit draw. This has been done before, and it led to a very famous, very famous angle. So also scheduled for full gear, we've got the Young Bucks going up against Santana and Ortiz. And they are using the name Proud and Powerful as their new tag team name. And then, so those are the four matches. Moxley versus Omega, Jericho versus Cody, Young Bucks versus Proud and Powerful, Hangman versus Pac. But there's a few other matches that you have to imagine we're building towards. So there's no tag team title match currently booked. SCU shocked the Lucha Bros in the main event of Dynamite this week. It was a very interesting finish to the match. So Kazarian was powerbombed through a table on the outside. So you're, you've got Pentagon and Phoenix are basically have a two-on-one on Scorpio Sky, and it looks like they're going to go for their spiked pile driver finish, but Scorpio reverses it into a roll-up. Kazarian gets back and prevents the pin from getting broken up, and they, they got him. SCU gets the win, and they're the first ever tag team champions in the history of All Elite Wrestling. It's a huge career accomplishment for Scorpio Sky and Kazarian. But you have to wonder now, what comes next? What comes at full gear? I mean, we got to be getting a tag team title match at full gear, right? So do we get SCU defending against the Lucha Bros? Maybe we'll get some match on Dynamite this coming week to determine number one contenders to SCU's titles. I imagine that's what we're going to get. And I, I, I feel like we could easily get the Lucha Bros challenging for the titles that they weren't able to win this week. Two of the top teams in AEW are not going to be eligible for a title match at the pay-per-view, however. That's the Young Bucks and Santana and Ortiz because they're going to face each other. So who faces SCU? That's going to have to be de determined in the next week, probably on Dynamite this week. Maybe you get, maybe you have the Lucha Bros go up against Private Party again. Or I guess they, they met in the semifinals, so that doesn't make sense. Do the Lucha Bros versus Dark Order. Dark Order was the other semifinal uh, loser. You could do Lucha Bros versus a team that wasn't in the tournament either. And we also don't have a women's world title match booked for Full Gear either. And we saw Riho defeated Dr. Britt Baker uh, two weeks ago in Dynamite. Was that two weeks ago or three weeks ago? I don't know. Riho beat Britt Baker. Hikaru Shida won a big match on Dark there, so we could get Hikaru Shida versus Riho. But very likely on Dynamite, we're going to have to have a number one contender declared for the Women's Championship as well. Then there's a couple of rivalries going on in AEW. We've seen B. Priestley and Dr. Britt Baker kind of get at each other a little bit in tag matches. And we saw Britt Baker defeat Jamie Hayter, who is B. Priestley's tag team partner recently. So there could be something there on the pay-per-view. Could get some other inner circle members that don't have a match booked, such as Jake Hager and Sammy Guevara. They could be on the show as well. So I think just because we only have four matches booked for full gear 
that Dynamite on Wednesday is going to be an eventful show. It's the only show that they've done where nothing is announced so far. There's no matches announced for this Wednesday. So expect a lot of what we see on the show to build towards this pay-per-view coming up next Saturday. And with that, I'm going to tap out for this edition of Spoiler Free Wrestling, the podcast. Thanks very much, as always, for supporting this show, the website, our YouTube channel. Really do appreciate it. I'm the iGuy from Spoiler Free Wrestling.